Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Today I have another special guest on the podcast, Matthew Broberg Moffitt. Matthew is going to talk uh, a little bit about his new book, Color, Taste, and Texture. Um, welcome, welcome, Matthew. Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to, really glad to be here. Of course, <laughs> thank you for coming on. Um, so my first question for you today Matthew, I, w- I was going to ask you, I'm going to ask a, a couple uh, person, more personal questions and then I'm going to get into a little bit about the book. Um, but my first question for you today is tell us a little bit about your early life and when you came to realize that you were autistic. Um, well, my, my early life was uh, you know, pretty, pretty chaotic, pretty, pretty messy. I had a, a very traumatic childhood. Um, you know, lots of homelessness and, and stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, it kind of contributed to a lot of my, um, my interests as I, as I grew older, I became a substance abuse counselor for several years because my, my mom had substance abuse issues and I lived around a lot of folk who had them. Um, uh, but before I, before all of that, I, um, I became, I went to culinary school, uh, when I was very young and, um, I realized very quickly that my, um, you know, my food aversions, which I didn't know then were food aversions. I just thought that I was picky, I guess, uh, cause I, I wasn't, I didn't know that I was neurodivergent mm-hmm. at that point yeah. or had really a framework for it. Um, so that was when I was like, oh, wow, this, you know, this career looks really great on paper. My grandma taught me how to cook and I loved cooking with her and spent a lot of time in her kitchen growing up. So I thought that, you know, it'd be a, an interesting career choice for me. Yeah. Um, but it was hard. I couldn't, I couldn't eat a lot of the food that I, you know, prepared. And I realized that my, my potential as a chef was severely limited because I couldn't expand my mm-hmm. palate. I couldn't you know, become a master at my craft, so to speak. <laughs> How was um, that? Um, I'm sure you were able to, like, find ways to work around that, or... Um... Um, it became... Getting through culinary school, I was able to, you know, push it aside and just... I didn't try a lot of the food that I did. Mm. <laughs> I, I tried the stuff that I could, and I made sure that I prepared it technically flawlessly. Um and I, I now, had I known then that I was autistic and that food aversions are, are very common among, among autistic people and other neurodivergent sensory um, sensitivity people, um, I would have tried harder to find a way to make a career at it so I could bridge kind of a gap, I guess. Yeah. That's, that definitely would have been something I would have pushed harder for at the time. It felt like a failing. Mm-hmm. Now knowing that it's a, it's a neurotype, it's it's an yeah. expression of a, of, a, of a neurotype. Yeah, exactly. Um, now knowing that, I definitely would have done some things differently in my past with that knowledge. Um, at the time, I just felt like like I had made a big mistake, and I was like, oh, I wasted so much time and money for something I can't do as a career. However, now I'm like, wow, it actually is an opportunity. 
Absolutely, yeah. To, to try to find a way. I actually, it, it's really interesting. I have, um, um, I'm a member of the International uh, Association of Culinary Professionals. Um, and one of the things that I'll be doing next year in late March, March 26th, is giving a um, health and uh, expert talk to the food, to the uh, wellness group, basically discussing neurodivergence and food aversion as it relates to the larger culinary industry. Fantastic. So, so I, I'm really um, excited to do that because there's so much that I have to say on the subject. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> there's a lot to be said on the subject. I think it's really important. Um, I, you know, I've, I can definitely relate to like having food sensitivities and then I mean you know my whole life um it's very interesting because there there's a lot about like I was lucky to get diagnosed a lot earlier than most people not still still not very early I was 16 but um I know that a lot of people don't get diagnosed until way later or aren't able to get a formal diagnosis um but I, I think there are a lot of things um, about about my neurodivergence that I didn't understand until very recently, until I started reading more about neurodiversity and I think the neurodiversity paradigm as opposed to the pathology paradigm. Because, you know, it's not that I hadn't read anything about... Like, back in 2010, when I got my diagnosis... Um, it's not like there weren't like some resources that pro were provided to me or that I didn't there wasn't anything to read like there were things to read but like about autism but n it seemed like nothing I read talked about food sensitivities and so right. I never associated it's still very uncommon <laughs> yeah it's not talked about enough I feel because I never it was such a revelation it was only like I, I want to say maybe a year ago or something that I started because uh, I started reading all these things from other like I entered the social media verse of, of neurodivergent people and I realized how many people there are with all these similar experiences and one of them was food and I remember I would see these things I started seeing like people posting about like having sensory sensitivities to food and then it just opened I mean, it was definitely a light bulb switch moment, and it opened a lot, like, this huge door of understanding, like, oh, so I wasn't just picky. I It wasn't that I just didn't want to eat certain foods, um, and it was because I literally have sensory sensitivity to the right. texture of those foods. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 37. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was in 2019, I was homeless again after a divorce. Mm -hmm. And it was really traumatic. I was, um, you know, had a lot of uh, suicidal ideation and I was in the hospital for six weeks um, because I couldn't, I couldn't cope mm -hmm. um, by myself. I needed help. Um, and it was when I was in the hospital that I, I met somebody who was autistic, who was a client. Yeah. or a patient at the time and um and I was talking to them and it was just like oh my gosh 
I saw myself in them and they were older. They're also late diagnosed. And when I started talking to them, I was like, this is just me expressed differently. I mean, it's like so many things I related to them in ways I hadn't related to anybody else. So I went to the, um, I went to my psychiatrist and I was like, you know, doctor, I think I just learned something really, really big about myself and I'd like your take on it. Um, and thankfully they were open to it and set me up with a psychologist and staff to, to get a formal diagnosis. Oh, that's great. Um, and then they were open because I know it's not always them. Well, a yeah. part of the help is uh, my degree is in behavioral science and mm-hmm. I was a counselor for 60 years and, and I have, I can talk the talk. I know how to communicate mm-hmm. with, with clinicians. And I know that that's a privilege that that was one I'm a white presenting male presenting person. So I know that the doctor was going to be open to hear what I had to say, regardless, just because of internal biases and, and, and those privileged statements. So I know that it was uh, the only reason why it was listened clearly was because I had a position to communicate in a way that would be heard. And I know that that, that I was, I'm, you know, thankful. I'm grateful in that regard because not everybody has that. Um, it's very rare. So I know that that was a um, pretty much a, kind of like a light bulb moment for me, but it was also um, a real sign of, you know, how I know that a lot of the people, a lot of the patients that were there who, who didn't have my education or my experience had a really hard time talking to the same doctor. And some of them were from from um, backgrounds that were more um, minority, uh, you know, there are people of color, there are people who, who hadn't had an education. And so I felt at the same time, because I was, it's the first time I'd been in the hospital for, you know, a long time. It was when I was younger, but it was also seeing how, how completely skewed my experience was compared to others, how, how the, the, the scales were tilted in my favor just by dints of being mean. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, partly what led to my, my belief that I should start writing. Um, that's what I started, started to write. I was like, well, I have, I have experiences. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm Romani and Sami. I'm, I'm, I look white, but I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> um, not necessarily from the same um, you know, have a background of, of a lot of um, disadvantage and I came from extreme poverty and you know, there's so I, I know that I'm I, I have an opportunity to use my my privilege to help kind of open the door so I can get through it and actually talk about things that need to be talked about. Yeah. No, that's that's very good to um that you're able to to use that those tools that you have and and um to be understood and and uh, you know to be taken seriously like you said like you were yeah um not everybody has that that yeah that experience yeah, at all yeah absolutely so um um i mean it, it's kind of it's it's kind of the perspective of that that was the worst point in my life the furthest i've ever been to ending it and yet, 
it was what I needed to open the door to seeing who I truly was and to move forward. Yeah, that, that, that sounds really powerful. Um, thank you for share, sharing that as well, this whole um, journey. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and um, I, one, one of the last personal question I have before, before getting more into the book, um, what, what would you say is uh, your, what would you say food was one of your main special interests and were there any other special interests that you also had growing up? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, I, I loved, I, I'm hyperlexic, um, so I taught myself to read when I turned three um, with a copy of Stephen King's The Eyes of the Dragon. Mm. <laughs> Shortly after that, I read It, um, which, you know, are not necessarily age-appropriate um, books mm. for a three-year-old, four-year-old. Um so reading has always been a huge special interest, fantasy, science fiction especially, um, horror. Um, I, I loved food growing up, learning about it, you know, to an extent. There were so many things like, you know, the whole everything has – I didn't like eating out as much because I always got like, you know, a shifty eye when it asked for something plain and I had – you know, parents of friends who would, like, make a big deal about it and yeah. make me feel, like, less than because of it. Wow, yeah, I can certainly relate to that. I was just, um, I forgot to mention earlier, but there were so many times that I would just, it was like, I, you know, I can't, uh, I have a sensory uh, sensitivity to lettuce. So, like, I would have to ask, I would, every time I would be out with family or friends and we would go get burgers, and, like, I like burgers, but without the lettuce, and I had to, every time that I would ask, it was, like, there was, I mean, I wasn't ever, like, extreme judgment, but I definitely felt, I guess it could have been worse, but I definitely felt judged a lot, like, or just, even, like, there would just be this, like, confusion, like, even, I don't know, like, even, I think it's just because, like, people are so unaware, I think, I mean, it's also, like, there's not enough information out there about food sensitivities, it is really what it comes down to, because, um... Like, people are used to, like, allergies and stuff. But if, like, if it's, like, you don't want something on the food that's not necessary... Like, they're always thinking of it in terms of allergies. So if it's not something that it makes sense that you would have an allergy to, they don't really understand. And I feel like it takes them a while sometimes, or it's kind of confusing. Or then some people also get upset because it's, like... And I understand that part of it, but it's, like... If they, um, I mean, there's so many aspects to it. There's, like, I've also been judged because it's, like, people would think I didn't want to eat things because they were, like, because they were, like, healthy foods or because I just wanted to be unhealthy or whatever. And that's, like, a, I think something that I ended up internalizing a lot. But another thing, as I was saying, um, also, which I experienced, which was really hard, especially for someone that's also very emotionally sensitive. It's like when people, because, of course, you know, people have, um, people are very proud of their food. 
Um, so right. when people make something and then it has, it's always, it kills me every time when people, right. and this is why if people like invite me over to dinner and they're going to be cooking or something like that, nowadays I'm like, I'm going to, and it might seem like, I know it, it probably still comes across as odd to a lot of people, but I send them a list of like, oh, these are some things that I can't eat or that, you know, because, and it's not. But I think it does help, like, because it throws them off probably, but I think it does help that, um, because it's really hard for me when someone makes something and they're, like, really, it's, like, they put their soul into it and they really want you to see you enjoy it and it has something that you can't eat. Like, it's so many times and it's, like, so awkward and then it's, like, like, you're at a gathering and then this person is like, oh, you should have so-and-so, I made it, and such-and-such such because I made it. And then it's like, darn it. Like, I yeah. really, it's not, it's not personal, but then sometimes I just don't know. Definitely. How, that's yeah. why I put in my book, I have um, a worksheet that's a, a food preference profile mm. that you can fill out. We hope people take a copy of it and then fill it out so they don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can send it to people. You know, I, I made it for you, yeah. so you can give it to people ahead of time, either family or friends. Fantastic. Yeah. All that stuff on it. You know, your your no food, your no go foods, your sane foods, your safe foods. Mm -hmm. So if you know, people are like, well, you know, it's not just what I don't like, but you know, if you're really, I feel like if there's a lot of consideration given into it, they. Sometimes it's easy to like, you know, make uh, you know some chicken nuggets or something on the side. You know, if, if mm -hmm. you don't like these things, I want you to make sure that you eat. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, you know, I was raised in the in the Midwest, and you know, the the whole host, um, you know, mindset of you know, it's it's our it's my duty to make make you comfortable and to and to and to lay out a table and have you have you feel full when you walk away. Yeah. And. So for me, if somebody were to say, hey, you know, give me this list, and I look at it, and I'm making something, I'm like, well, you know, I'm not sure if this is going to be exactly what you like. It doesn't have any of your no-go foods on it, but I also made you something that's a safe food, just to be sure. Oh, nice. you know? yeah. I think that makes yeah. a huge, like, um, impact, for sure. Like, that's something I definitely would have appreciated in a lot of situations is like because then it's like also it's it boils down to there's certain kind of cuisine like with family it's so many situations and i'm just having like these revelations now but it's like certain kind of cuisines like my family wants to eat a certain kind of cuisine Sorry. and it's oh that's like um uh it's like my um and then it's it's not that i don't I think it's still hard. It's like, even with my family, it's still hard for them to understand. Um, like, I can't... Mediterranean food, it's just there's a lot of stuff, like, a lot of... Um, I mean, I can eat some things, but there's a lot of stuff that I can't eat because of the texture. And No, I, I definitely understand. It's, my mom worked at a, at a Greek restaurant mm -hmm. um, when I was a kid. Yeah. And she would always bring home stuff... And I would always be like taking like the things that I oh could get gosh, that, yeah. that didn't have other things on it. And I'm like, I'm yeah. like, thank you, mom. To this day, I can't eat a gyro because it's just, <laughs> it's just, there's yeah. no well, one. It was yeah. brought home for like months straight. So <laughs> I definitely relate. Like it, that's why I, I, I just can't do it. Like I, and it, 
I think now I'm more confident in, in like, it does make a huge difference now that I understand that what it is and I can voice that. And then if people understand or not, that's on them. Um, but I, I just, I'm going back like so many times, like we would go, we would go to a, a Mediterranean restaurant and it's like you said, you know, like I would, I wasn't able to walk away like feeling full. Like everyone else would feel like like they had a good meal and they're full. And I'm like, I just spent the whole meal like picking around what I can eat. And, and, and that, that's, that's distancing. It puts one, I mean, for me, it was like you're talking earlier about emotional sensitivity. As a kid, I wanted to please adults. I exactly. wanted to, yeah. to, to make them happy. It, to me, following rules was important. It still is. And when I couldn't, I felt like a failure. I felt like I was doing something wrong. But in ter- the, I go into it in the cookbook about how a lot of the, a lot of food aversion um, is based on, on neurological things. It's when when we were, um, you know, advancing as a, as a species, um, we had signals when you bite into something that isn't what you expect. Our brain tells us, "Well, hold up, that might not be safe." Mm-hmm. And it does as to protect us because. Yeah. You know, something may not may be rotten. I mean, there's a lot of flavors that are actually um, like bitterness and sourness and things like that are, are are signifiers to our brain that something may be spoiled. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of things in there, texture, things being squishy, which is my my thing. Or, I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of things, yeah. and when somebody has sensitivities to texture, and somebody is maybe autistic. Those things are, are amped up. It's till 11. So our, we have a, an actual situation at a dinner table or, or while we're eating where our brain is telling us this isn't safe. It may not, you know, we not be, need to be able to understand that. That doesn't, how it's come across, it comes across as a revulsion or, 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 or just distaste. But it's really our brain's telling us this isn't safe. And that doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. mean it's not, but that's how our brain is interpreting it. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's definitely happened to me before like especially that one part that you you were saying about when you bite into something and it's not what you expect because I've had that and it's such a bummer because it's like I'll order something and and then it'll and I'll picture it a certain way or I'll read the menu and I'll see it and I'll picture it a certain way like okay this is probably what I'm ordered like this is probably what the texture is like and and so and so, and I'm like, great, and then it comes, and then I bite into it, and I'm like, oh man, like, it's really hard, like, um, and then what I also, I think it's just because there's not enough understanding around these things, most restaurants, it'll happen, like, it happens a lot, where the, the description of the, of what's in the food, on the dish, is not, like there's more stuff but they just don't tell you they they just put it right. in there and then also what's happened to me is like I'll go somewhere and I'll 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 usually order like if it's somewhere that I'm used to going I know what I like I know what that dish is like I'll order that dish and I'll know I'll even memorize like the modifications like I want no capers like say no capers and and then and so it happened to me super recently I went to this restaurant with my dad that we go to every once in a while and 
I ordered the dish that I always get, and then it had like some peppers or something like that they just kind of added to it, but it wasn't on the menu, and it was like, and then I don't want to come across as like you know so, uh, snobby or whatever, like oh I didn't I wasn't I didn't want these peppers or whatever, but. And I don't even, I never really know how to voice it. And I end up just not being able to eat that part of the dish. But it's frustrating because it's like, well, it feels like, like, gosh, I wouldn't, I wish I didn't like, yeah, because I, I, then I don't like wasting food either. But that's really hard because like, I, I can't eat something. Yeah. Um, I grew up, you know, extremely poor and had, you know, a lot of times where there wasn't enough food on the table. So I have the same, it's like, if I don't finish it, I feel mm -hmm. like I've, you know, I'm endangering myself because I don't know when, I, I mean, now there's, there's not as much, you know, food, um, insecurity in my life, but there's still that, that instinctive, oh, I can't, I can't not eat the, like all of this because yeah. I don't know when my next meal is going to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I, I would suggest, um, you know, it's, I would suggest when going to a restaurant, when you start, when you start off, like with the ordering, especially, um, you might say something like, you know, I have, I've been to this restaurant before and I, this is a dish that I've ate. And I have, I have food issues mm -hmm. with, um, you could even say allergens. Yeah. It's, you can say, say I have allergens. Mm -hmm. This food, this specific dish has not every, when served as is on the menu, I have no problems with it. It's really important that there's nothing. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. With it. Yeah. Because I mean, it's a hospitality business. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're there to serve you for you to enjoy the food. Yeah. Um, you're paying for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you deserve to have the food delivered the way that, that you expect it to be. Yeah. And you know, and so that, that might be a way that I would suggest to listeners and to you to possibly yeah. help. Have you had to address, like, you know, be, being in the culinary industry and also and everything and, like, trying to um, educate the industry on, on these things? Have, have you had, have you had situations where you had to address chefs that have a lot of pride and that refuse to, like, modify their, yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty big. I mean, especially when you get into like Michelin star restaurants mm -hmm. and, and the, the more um, high end um, places. Trinket, don't eat that. Sorry. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's, it's, it's very frustrating. It's one of the reasons why I, I could, I don't think I'd be able to work um, at, under a chef that I didn't trust or, or know personally beforehand, yeah. Because, um, I mean, there's so much. There's so much. It's arrogance. It's it's mm -hmm. arrogance. Um, and you know, it's true. Yes, they could go and eat somewhere else. Yes, they're there, you know, to to eat your food. Um, but it's a service industry. We're there. To, mm -hmm. We're there to serve. We're there to to make somebody's life more enjoyable. Yeah. And I feel as though we have an obligation to try to meet people where they are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. And that's that's a lot of what I'll be talking about 
in my discussion is that that so much of food aversion is seen as um, a lack of sophistication or, you know, an unrefined person, a person, you know, who's lacking in some way mm-hmm. by the food industry. There's even, you know, the, the common term is like when they're talking about people with food diversions as adults, they call them like chicken nugget adults. That's a common mm. term that goes around. Wow. And it's so infantilizing. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't understand that it's it's a different neurotype. It's a different it's an expression of a difference in perceiving the world. It's a sense of, it's something that they that they can't grasp that it's not a deficiency, it's not a lack of character or ability. It's 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 we experience the world differently and we, we deserve to have our needs our needs met. We deserve to be met where we are as opposed to talked down to or seen as less than. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of what is like, you know, when gluten-free became so much more prevalent, you know, when vegan foods are becoming more commonplace and in, in, in everything, whole industries opened up. Yeah. I mean, entire retail categories became a thing. Mm-hmm. You can go into a store, you can find those foods now where, you know, 10 years ago, they were so much more rare. But now they're, they're almost, you know, they're a factor in, in society. But people with food aversions don't have that same, and it should be seen as an opportunity. It, this is a real, you know, labeling foods, making foods that that are with people's extreme sensitivities in mind, being able to label something, this is crunchy with this, and this, here's how what to expect when you bite into it. Yeah. That's an industry that, oh, it's an opening. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm that makes me glad for sure because I I definitely wish that 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 there was more understanding around that when I was growing up. And that leads me into my next question. Um what was it like the what led you to like what was the moment that inspired you uh or uh, to to start uh working on the book and then did that have a lot was that a lot? Does that have a lot to do with your own personal experiences as well? Um, absolutely. I have a son. He's mm-hmm. now he's turned twenty three. Had him. He was born when I was eighteen, um, and I was you know, the primary chef in the household, making food and everything. He is um, he's neurotypical, um, but he has food aversions. Mm-hmm. Which is part of what I'm like would like you know to make sure people understand that food aversions are extremely prevalent. In fact, most people out there have at least one. Yeah, it could be from they had a bad experience when they ate it and they became sick and now they can't stand to see that food. There's and which goes back to the neurological basis for a lot of food aversion. Um, so lots of people have food aversions. It's it's acceptable. You know, people just don't order something that has it on it. And they seem like it's fine. But because it's not so invasive as a lot of people with neurodivergence have, food, like, mm-hmm. where there might be multiple categories that are common that are found in food, it's not as big of a deal. They just say, oh, I don't eat fish because, you know, they want to, you know they don't like the smell of it. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, okay. But because mm-hmm. nothing else is a problem, it's not seen as problematic. Oh, I see. Yeah. Does that make 
I mean, that's that's part of the. So my son, he had lots of food aversions. One of his was um, was watermelon. The thing that really got to me was his food aversions were different than mine. Mm. You know, I, I wasn't diagnosed until he was an adult, and um, I did my best to accommodate his 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 preferences. But they were so different from my own, I didn't understand them. I didn't have the context at that point to think of it as this is a systemic problem that so many people experience. I was still stuck in my own limited view at that point, pre-diagnosis. So I wasn't as accommodating as I could have been. And that's a failing for me. I see it as a failing. I see it's like, oh, I could have done better. I should have done better. I did the best I could, you know, But I was a lot more understanding when there was overlap with my own food aversions. And that's, you know, hypocrisy. That's that's unfair. Um, When he had, like, you know, he had a time when he couldn't eat pasta um, because of the texture. Mm. And I was was like, why can't you eat pasta? Just plain pasta with, like, butter, you know, why can't you eat this? And I couldn't understand it. Mm -hmm. Because at the time I was still dealing with my own limited frame of reference it wasn't until later that i was like oh wow you know sometimes there are shifting food aversions that that, you know for whatever reason and i still don't know exactly why some we have some shifting things that like oh sometimes i'm okay with this i may be stuck on the same food for several weeks and nothing else sounds good but then it changes for whatever reason you know i still don't know exactly why that happens Mm -hmm. but it should be honored when it happens yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so when I was in when I was in the shelter, I was in there for almost um, for most of 2019. Um, I started writing. The first I started writing uh, children's books, and I still I'm actually I'm a represented author who writes um, picture books and chapter books and middle grade novels. Just haven't sold any yet. <laughs> um, but when I, I remember the day that I thought of color, taste, texture. I, I first start, started thinking, wow, I should do something with, you know, I have this I have this background in food. I should try to write something with that, too. Yeah. Um, so I started first with the idea of doing a, a picture book. And I started with it. It's called Remy Won't Eat Squishy. Mm-hmm. And it's about a little child who does not eat squishy food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But that was when I was like, wow, I could totally do something else with this. I could write a cookbook. My first idea for a cookbook is one I still want to do, um, and it's called um, Bone Apple Tea, and it's mm. about meme foods um, and food culture. I still mm. want to do this one. I still think it'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. But um, it was on November 11th, 2020, I had came up with the idea for color, taste, texture, and it was like a lightning bolt. And I would start thinking about my experiences, you know, raising Ian, my son, and about food myself from what I had growing up. And I was like, you know what? There is nothing out there for for people that honors food aversion. Every book about there about picky eaters is trying to trick people. Like, mm. here's how to get people to eat different things. Mm. Here's how to do that. And that's not that's not meeting people where they are. That's, it doesn't work. Making them fit into a mold, yeah. Right. And most, most of the, of, 
the occupational therapies out there for getting uh, people to expand a palate, eat new things don't work. I know this from, mm-hmm. from my experience yeah. um, in my background as a counselor. They, they are ineffective because they're going about it the wrong <laughs> sorry, they're going about it the wrong way. Um, so that was when Color Taste Extra came in and I tweeted about it. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to tweet about this. So, um, at this point I have, I've been working as a sensitivity reader for some time for, for most of the year mm-hmm. of 2020. So I had actually gotten quite a bit of a following, gained 10,000 followers on Twitter within a year. Um, and I had a lot of, um, I've been querying to find a, a literary agent for some time, and um, I had I knew a lot of agents and editors and stuff. So I put out there this idea, and an agent, you know, liked it and said, "Please send me this this proposal." Mm-hmm. Um, and Heather, she became my agent, um, Heather Cashman. I sent her the the uh, proposal, which I'd never written before, so I didn't know how to write one. Um, and it was wrong, like the proposal, mm-hmm. I didn't do it right. So she's like, oh, sweetie, here's how you write a proposal, mm-hmm. then send it back. <laughs> so she actually took me through it, thankfully, and I sent it back, and then she made an offer of representation and um, had a couple of other offers at that point from, from my fiction um, and decided to go with her because she helped me write my proposal, she walked me through it. Um, I had the same experience with my fiction, my fiction uh, agent, um, Hannah. Hannah walked me through, she gave me a revise and resubmit, and she was really friendly, and she helped me rewrite a lot of the stuff I was then. I got it. She rejected my original revise and resubmit, and I took a whole year to rewrite it, sent it back, and she's like, this is it. And she offered me representation for it. Uh, but since they both offered to represent my fiction and my nonfiction, I decided to stick with loyalty since they both helped in those specific areas. So I decided to go with my nonfiction is represented by Heather. My fiction is represented by Hannah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it's actually, it's kind of a remarkable thing because when I came up with the idea for it, and initially it was color, taste, and texture, recipes, for, or cooking for um, autistic and picky eaters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Heather's like, drop the and, let's do color, taste, texture. Because it fits like a pattern. They've done um, acid, fire, yeah. salt, um, you know, flour, yeah. water, you know, yeast. They, so there, that had been a, a common thing. So I'm like, oh, that sounds really good. Mm-hmm. And then we were doing the, the tagline for it, which is recipes for picky eaters, those with food aversion, and anyone who's ever cringed at food. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who came up with the anyone who's ever cringed at food because she has food aversions too. So it actually worked out really well. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that's really perfect because we're trying to reach the broadest demographic as we can. Yeah. That's why I... I opted to leave picky eaters into the title. Like there's, there's some controversy between, you know, is picky eaters disparaging or, you know, is it a, is a seen as a negative or has unkind connotations. 
And while there is a there is a certain amount of truth to that, I also wanted to acknowledge that some people might just not want to eat something, and that's okay too. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all fine. I I wanted to make sure going into writing color change texture that regardless of why you won't or can't eat something, it's honored, respected, because food aversion is okay. It's okay not to want to eat something. Yeah. It's, so I wanted to be respectful of all of all people in that regard. Yeah. Um, but we came up with you know color taste texture and and we went I went from the idea so it, uh, you know November eleventh to signing an agent, getting the proposal ready for submission to publishers, to getting a first offer within six months, mm-hmm. which. Is pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> Folks not familiar with the publishing industry, that's like that's, that's like lightning speed. Wow, fantastic. Um and it's you know when I started hearing from people like us who's like, Oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. And like people were crying, yeah. talking to me about about how moved they were by, by having this and how felt how seen they felt. I realized, like, wow! I, I, I finally, I, I, this is this is good. This is the right thing. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I feel very seen. Like, just this whole conversation has been really empowering for me. Because I mean, uh, I guess also another adjective is uh, reassuring. Right. Because, yeah, there's just been so many moments, like, and I know that it was all probably harmless because people just don't know, they're not educated enough on this, but, um, like, from friends and family, just kind of like, you know, where I felt kind of, like, made fun of in a way for, like, having aversion to certain foods, either that or, like, um misunderstood like thought of oh i just don't want to eat lettuce because it's healthy and that's not what it is and that's not to to put it in perspective i had been i had been on a a taco bell kick yes i like taco bell and i like to order the beefy five layer burrito thing because there's nothing on it i have to admit Mm -hmm. it's i like when i'm when i'm ordering food from other places i like to order things i don't have to special order if yeah, possible. yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, but this last one that I got, they had accidentally put a piece of lettuce in it. Oh, man. It was right at the end. Thankfully, it was right at the end. Mm-hmm. But I took a bite at the end, and it was in my mouth, and, I, and it, the texture, now I'm off it. I don't, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't yeah, want Taco Bell I'm- anymore because that was... I've I've felt I've had that kind of thing where like I get used to like a certain place a certain food I know what it I know what to expect and that that's a big thing of the of it you know like okay this is like my go to you know food at this spit at this place and then it's like it's different or like it came maybe just that day there's something off about it like the whatever it is, some kind of ingredient is different or off or whatnot. 
and it'll ruin it. It'll ruin it. I'm like, mm, I don't really want to go. And then the next time I think of that place, oh, do I want to go there? Oh, I don't know if I really want to go there because I last time I ordered, it was weird. Uh, right. Well, I mean, and that's that's where, like, you know, uh, autistic people often have, you know, our 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 sensitive our our experiences are amped up, and it's hard to filter them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to to um, censor them, so we can't just ignore something that yeah. other people might be able to look at, whether it's a um, a buzzing light. Or, you know, something in, in the food that, you know, you're not very fond of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also memories. So when we, when we think about it, and we're like, oh, you know, yes, in the past, this had been really great. But, you know, a lot of people have also, like, contamination um, focus. Where, you know, something, something is, is contaminating whatever it is you're eating. We can't forget that time we bit into it, and it was wrong. It just completely mm-hmm. wrong yeah. yeah and and there's you know i don't feel like there's that that's something that that should be judged or mm-hmm. or disparaged yeah. it's it just is what it is <laughs> yeah it is what it is exactly it just needs we need more um awareness about it for sure uh right. so my next question uh what was the process uh, of coming up with the recipes and uh, what was that like? Yeah. Um, well, the, the process was pretty, um, it was actually harder than I thought it was going to be to come up with the recipes that I put in the book. Uh, partly because when I initially pitched the project, it was a significantly larger book. Mm-hmm. It was almost twice the size and they bought it or they made the offer with that in mind. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay. And I'm like, okay, so I went you know, 90 pictures and I want, you know, 80,000 words. And this is, I wrote a lot of the book prior to some of this being finalized. And then they're like, oh, can we get it like 50,000 words and only like 30 to 40 pictures? I'm like thinking at first, oh, sure, you're going to pay me the same amount, right? Because that's less, that's, you know, less work for the same amount of money is fine. At first, that was my impression. But then I sat down and I realized this changes the entire book. Mm-hmm. I can't have it, at first it was much more technically processed where I went through exactly how to cut an onion so you can change the texture mm-hmm. so that it doesn't have a prevalent texture in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Exactly how to slice you know meat so that you go against the grain so that it doesn't stringy and chewy. You know, but then I realized I can't do that anymore. I don't have the the allowance of pictures or the, the span of words to explain a lot of these things. So I had to reframe it into something that was a lot more, um, a lot more um, top level, open open level, a lot more a lot more theory, a lot more, a lot more discussion about experience as opposed to here's exactly how you need to cut this to make it better for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also meant that my recipes went from being 80 down to 46. Mm, and so I'm like, okay, well, what exactly am I supposed to do here? So I went through and I selected basically stuff that I know is largely um, texture neutral or 
stuff like mashed potatoes, mac and cheese, um, stuff that that has a wide appeal, chicken fingers, yeah. um, you know, a burger, you know, lots of things that I, I'm a big baker. It's, it's as often said, I'm not, actually I'm, I'm I'm a good I'm a good chef, I'm a good cook, but I'm a really good baker. <laughs> um, so I do a lot of breads and stuff like that in in the cookbook because that's that's honestly one of my biggest strengths. Um, and also because I, if done right, I very rarely have a texture issue with bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah, but, um, yeah. So I think that's one of the reasons why I gravitated to to that specific you know, narrow field, no more narrow field. Um, so, you know, I, I went through, there's only one recipe in the book that I, I will not eat because it's just, it's not, you know, it's not to my taste. Like when I made it initially, I was thinking, you know, I, I, I got was asked a lot, can you make it vegetarian? I'm like, well, not every food diverse person has the, has the privilege or the, or the ability to one eat vegetarian because it's it's so much more expensive, it doesn't keep as well. There's a lot more variables in in, in, in eating vegetarian um, or vegan. I'm like, but I will include a lot of vegan and vegetarian variations because I do eat a lot of those foods. Um, and I'm like, well, also I want to make it as accessible as possible. I want everybody to be able to get this book and find something in it that they can use. Um, towards that end, I have another, um, project that I really want to suggest. It's called Special Interest Kitchen. It's, it will be my next, um, well, it'll be the second to next proposal. The ne- the other one is, um, the Explorer's Plate, and it has a hundred recipes, and it has a structured formula for trying new foods if you want to. Like, if you like this, here's a branching table to say, you might want to try this because it's close in similar in texture or similar in flavor or similar in color so that there's an actual approach that you can use that's systematic and has reason and logic behind it. Mm, Nice. Fantastic. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, awesome. Um, So my final two questions that I have for you, um, will there, uh, what, what is, is there a link? For, for people uh, to, to purchase the book at and uh, of course I'll be linking that below and uh, and then uh, will an audio version of the book be made as available as well um, so to the two of them the, the book is available right now in pretty much every bookseller but I'll I'll send you the um, the penguin random house link which sends you to you know lots of other okay. sites so, so you Amazon, Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. Books a Million, Bookshop—it's cool. it's all over. Um, and so the second one, we actually do have an audiobook. Um, one I'm really proud of because the narrator is Avi Roke, who did the mm-hmm. voice of Rain Whispers on um, Owl House. Mm. One of my favorite characters. I'm a big animation kid show lover, and um, especially because mm-hmm. I, I write children's books. And Avi Roque is um, fantastic. Um, I was really proud and really happy with my publisher when they gave me the options for um, 
for narrators, they send me a list of five people, um, but they're all non-binary too. So they actually like really cared and put consideration into it. Yeah. Um, So when I saw Avi Rook there, I'm like, oh my gosh, because it's, it's one of my favorite characters, a non-binary character on, on, um, Outhouse. I'm like, I love them. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, and they did such a good job. They are such a good narrator and such a good voice actor. Um, just really impressed with, with the quality of their work. Yeah. I couldn't ask for a better person to, to narrate my book. Fantastic. It's, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, living vicariously in the outhouse world just by. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, and, you know, just to just add really quick, the book has a textured cover, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Nice. What I really love about it is that my um, the book designer sent me an email, and they're like, um, Matthew, we want to send you, uh, we want to do this, this this textured cover. It's called um, Gritty Mat. They're like, but we want to make sure that it doesn't offend your sensitivities, that it doesn't actually, like, cause an issue with you. So we're going to send you... They overnighted me a copy of a book that they published that had the same texture. And they're like, um, we just want you to, to, to touch it and to let us know if it's okay that we use this. Nice. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so incredible. I mean, um, Avery Books also published Neurotribes by Steve Silverman, mm. um, who's actually been really supportive of the book. I've, I've gotten to know him a little bit. And he's, oh, awesome. he's sent... Um, He's retweeted me a couple of times, so that was really cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't ask for, for a better um, publisher or imprint because they really have, they really do care about their mm-hmm. neurodivergent authors and neurodivergent interests. And they, yeah. they, they really make a difference. So, oh. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, whenever, like, like, those little accommodations like that, they they certainly go a long way, and I I I definitely always appreciate when people are um, thoughtful and considerate of my neurodivergence and my sensitivities and such. Um, and I just want to give a quick shout out because the book was I actually did the photo shoot in New Zealand, oh. um, in Hawkes Bay, New Zealand, in the city of Napier, and. Um, Love New Zealand so much, and love my my um, photographer Charlotte Anderson, and my stylist Matt McKenzie, and all of the kids in the book were the kids of, of my stylist, like or my um, my photographer. They're on the cover, or they're friends of, and it was so fantastic because um, the kids were amazing, and I really hope I get to use them, you know, as models in in the next one, so we can see like you know aged up. I think that'd be so cool. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> awesome. I just just really wanted to give a mm-hmm. shout out to, to them because they were, you know, the most welcoming people and, and a fantastic environment and can't wait to be back there again. <laughs> awesome. Uh, wow, fantastic. Um, what, those are all the questions I have for you today, but I just wanted to thank you again for, for coming on and... Uh, I'll be sharing the the link um, to your book uh, below and and all that 
so I'll have that, all that information. I, I'm really interested in, in getting a copy myself. It sounds like something I, um, something that'd be really helpful for me too. And that I, I, I mean, everything that you said today, you know, I can relate a lot to. So, um, just uh, let me know and I'll send you a couple copies or find one for you. Oh, awesome. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It might be, it might be a couple of weeks, but I'll get them to you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. No problem. Well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, thank, you know, thanks again for coming. It's always weird ending these episodes, you know, uh, right. yeah, but, um, thanks. Yeah. Thanks again for coming on. Um, and really appreciated it. Thank thank you everyone for listening and I'll see everyone next time.